Hello, I'm Sumo Bose. Welcome to the Net Hero podcast. I've always tried to be very neutral in what we do, but I, I cannot be neutral with what's going on in Russia. So in the time uh, since, you know, what, five, six days, the world has been turned upside down. And every day, things that are coming out of what's happening in Ukraine are just making my stomach churn. Uh, the loss of life, uh, the, the innocent people being murdered. And we've reached a stage where I never thought I'd see it. You know, I certainly didn't ever hope my children would see it, where we're returning to what I grew, grew up with, which was a time of, of fear and the threat of nuclear bombs being back on the agenda. What this has made me realise is that, you know, for years, and I've I've been probably as guilty as ever, and we've, we've just accepted that we know that particularly in the world of energy, we've been taking money, we've been taking resources from unsavoury regimes, and we continue to do so. Russia's not the only one. But right now, this is all about Russia, and we have got to stop. So still to this day, right now, the day I'm recording this, which is Tuesday, the 1st of March, over, over across the planet, we are spending, the West, around about a billion dollars a day buying oil and gas from Russia and that money is going towards bombing children in Ukraine. We've seen over the last uh, 72 hours companies like BP, Shell, Equinor all saying they're cutting ties with companies like uh, Rosneft, um, Russian assets. We've had the freezing of uh, the money of oligarchs. But the energy sector has to stand up. Now, Gazprom is a company that so many of you know. Uh, the Champions League, synonymous with Gazprom, they've now actually said, uh, UEFA, that they're going to stop their uh, collaboration and sponsorship with them. We are still buying gas. And I, I'm not having a go at the Russian people here because they are as innocent as the people in Ukraine. You know, and the people that work for companies like Gazprom here in the UK are brilliant people. We know many of them, they're friends and colleagues, and they have nothing to do with what's going on. But I do think we have got to take a stand and we have to stop buying any resources from Russia. Because right now, the energy sector can't turn a blind eye to what's going on. We cannot say there are contracts here, this is going to cost us. And yes, there will be short-term pain for all of us. We'll pay more. We can see what's happening with the petrol pumps right now. We are going to have to pay more. We're going to have to accept that. But we have to do something. And that means that, you know, whether it's government forcing the hand, which yes, the government should do, but the energy companies themselves, you know, all of us as consumers, you've got to ask, where's my supplier coming from? If you're buying oil and gas if you work for a local authority and you're a customer you've got to say why why are we taking this right now and this sector must change i know that's going to cause pain i know that's going to cause financial hardship but that's nothing compared to what's going on for the people in ukraine so my message for this podcast is energy sector do the right thing stop buying russian oil and gas stop investing in these companies you know i hope i pray that this will end soon and we can come back to some sort of semblance because i don't want to make russia pariah but right now that's all we've got right now okay unless we want a full out world war three that's all we've got so we've got to make this and the energy sector must stand up it must make 
its voice really loud and clear. And that means us, the people that work in the energy sector and the people who are consumers and customers of energy companies. We've got to ask this. And this brings me on to the wider point about where all this lives. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone from the industry. So, well, that, you know, this all scuppers net zero. No, it doesn't. It doesn't scupper net zero. It just makes you realise that actually, you know, net zero is where we've got to go. We've got to, but we've got to look at energy independence. We must look at energy independence for all of us. And we've got to use the resources we have. And in that vein, I think we must look again, and it'll be unpopular, but we need to look at our own gas supplies. We need to look at whether we can exploit more from the North Sea oil fields with carbon capture and storage, right? That would be my only prerequisite. You've got to have carbon capture and storage. Perhaps we should frack again, right? We should definitely be building nuclear. We've got to build nuclear power. We should be expanding offshore wind and where we can offshore, uh, onshore wind. We should be looking at tidal. We should be looking at all of this. The whole picture around moving away, creating self-sufficient energy is the way we've got to go. And this crisis has just simply amplified that. It hasn't said run back to oil and gas and don't buy from Russia, buy from somewhere else. We've got to start looking at using oil and gas where we can, but transitioning. It's going to be very difficult. The next few months are going to be very, very difficult. And, you know, I, I do worry for what, what's ahead. But all I know is that we can only do with what you've got right now. So let's take the action. Energy sector, let's show what we're made of. You know, people's lives are being lost. We, we, we might have a bit of financial pain. I'm sure that's something we can handle. I'm sorry for that political broadcast, but I kind of feel that that's really where I have to say what I feel. And, and that's what this podcast is all about. Uh, today's topic was recorded a week or so before all these, these terrible actions in Ukraine. So it's a little bit jolly, but uh, I hope you'll forgive me for that. But it was a very good conversation with a guy called Alex Shosh, who is head of sort of flexibility at Octopus Energy. And it's all about my EV, <laughs> my uh, my travails with my EV, which I, which I mentioned, and you know where we're going with the whole idea of kind of the internet of things. So it's a great conversation around flexibility and where EVs fit in to our future. Have a listen to this. So if you've been following what's been going on with my travails with my EV, you know that I had a lot of trouble when my internet went down and I couldn't charge my car because the charge schedule was locked into my app and I couldn't access my app. Well, um, I got my car, it's a leased car through Octopus, uh, the energy company Octopus Leasing. And uh, they were very kind enough to chat about my issues and problems. So thank you very much to them. And in fact, that's how we're going to have today's guest, who is Alex Shosh, who is head of t flexibility at Octopus. Alex, good to talk to you. Hi, Samit. Great. Thank you for having me. No, no, pleasure. And look, uh, it's it's very kind of you guys to have reached out to me and, and said, look, you know, what, we weren't too happy about that. And but But basically the point about what happened to me is something that happens to to many people and this is the first question really about how do we ensure that all these great technologies we're putting in alex as we really have this ev revolution and it's not just an energy uh, a, a transport revolution it's a storage and energy revolution how do we make sure that you know people like you smart people a lot smarter than me that when you make these things you kind of make sure there's a little bit dumbness for people to just turn them on and off. In terms of this whole thing about technology for technology's sake, where do you sit on this, making sure the interface 
works with what is in the real world? Great question, Summit. So I think, you know, if we think about this, um, and one of the core things of all of our kind of smart energy tech propositions is, what's the override? What's the default behavior so that, you know, when, when, when everything goes, you know, when, when, when Wi-Fi connectivity drops, that customers are never disadvantaged. And you know, I think that's where, you know, that, that's one of our core kind of product design principles is always making sure that there is a quote unquote, you know, non-connectivity default backup. That means that in your case, if the, if the Wi-Fi drops out, you can still plug in your car and charge it. Yeah, absolutely. Just an on-off on off switch for old people like me. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't even, not, not at all. I think it's just, you know, we, we have to make sure that, that yes, of course, we always need to make sure that things are better connected and that there's, there's backups to redundancy so that, you know, if, if you have something that is connected via Wi-Fi, if it's a really important thing, like your car charger, that there's a backup way to connect to it, that whether that's a, a SIM card installed in the device or, you know, a backup Ethernet cable, like all of these things are things that, you know, really fold into our consideration set. But most important is that no matter what, customers always need to be able to charge. And so that's, you know, that, that's you know, really feeding into our, our product design thinking now. Well, for, for those who are listening who are not sort of in the energy world, what, what is energy flexibility? So I think the, it's a, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, one, one that uh, does get posed to me occasionally on the dinner table. Um, <laughs> so I think the, the simplest way to, to think about it is we, we, we generate electricity and we, and we consume it. And that happens locally and at a national level. And there's, there's a thing of always matching supply and demand. Now, historically in the old world, um, we had big coal and gas power stations, and yep. they were built very close to big cities, et cetera. And you basically just shipped out power one way and it was consumed. And then if you had more demand, you just turned up more. Yeah. Now, as, we, as the energy kind of transition takes place, we have a growth of an explosion of renewable electricity now, wind and solar primarily. And these don't, you know, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. So to balance that supply and demand becomes more and more critical to make sure that we get the cheapest, greenest electrons to the people that need them. And, and that's where kind of flexibility comes in. And that's where digitizing the whole energy system comes in. And you know, my, my job is really to make sure that we develop the simplest propositions and, and solutions for customers to take advantage of that and take advantage of you know, being able to move around when you need some of your energy, but always have it when you need it. Yeah, and I suppose that the thing is, you know, for the listener, that the main levers for flexibility is, is demand, isn't it? So it's basically saying, hey, here you are, where I am, you're sitting in Barnet, you're not using much power, but someone uh, in uh, Birmingham needs more power. Let's give it to them, right? So it's a big of a weird example because it would be much more local, but in essence, that was what we're doing. We're saying, if people have got more power than they need and other people don't have it or the demand is high and the demand is low, we can pull levers to flex, to, to balance it out. What are those levers? What are the levers that we can pull right now today? What are the ones that you as Octopus are, are working on? I think, you know, and this, is, this will be very kind of near and dear to your heart. One of the big levers is when do you charge your electric car? <laughs> if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, yeah. <laughs> 
but you know, like the, the reality is, is that um, most of the time, you know, you or I probably do less than 20 or 30 miles a day, which means that actually in, in the grand scheme of things, we probably charge our car two to three times a week. And when we do charge it, we probably actually only need one to three hours worth of charging. So, you know, you get home, you plug in your car, you're never really like nine times out of 10, you're not going to need it again until the following morning. And mm. so that demand, that energy that, you know, that, that's going to go and charge your car is therefore inherently flexible because suddenly you have a 12 to you know, 10 to 12 hour window in which you actually just need it to be to happen at some point. So that's half the day, right? So then we can go, okay, well, it's going to be really windy, really, really windy um, between 3 and 5 a.m. So what, let's charge Summit's car then and yeah. not not yeah. at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. when he got home, when it's not that windy and, you know, the whole country is kind of getting home and everyone's cooking dinner and, and you know, but crucially, I think this is the thing that we always need to kind of always bear in mind to your earlier point. If you did need to charge because you're like, oh, well, you know what, it's actually, it's actually quite low and I, and I might need to pop out or I, I don't, I, you know, I always want to have 20, 30% charge. Yeah. Then it's you still emergency. Can. Yeah. You go get your but, kid to the doctors or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. So that's one thing. So, 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 but that's, you know, that, that's an example of, of flexibility that we can harness and we can then aggregate it by aggregate. I mean, we can, you know, add up many, many, many EV charge, EV customers. Yes. And then suddenly, you know, we can go to, to national grid and say, uh, we've got all of this EV charging capacity and it's going to be really, really windy tonight. It's going to be so windy actually that you might even pay some wind farms to turn off because that's too much for the system. How yeah. about we turn up all this car charging um, at those windows when you were instead going to turn off those wind farms? So benefit to the customers, super green, super cheap electrons, benefit to the wind farm owners because they don't get turned down, benefit to the grid because it's greener. This job here that you're talking about here, you know, this, this whole idea of as we transition to net zero, right, we've seen it with what's going on right now. We know that things are going to cost more. And the big thing is there are, there are two solutions people say. You build or you save, right? So you build more stuff, build more nuclear, build more wind farms, build more whatever you need, or you try and do much more energy efficiency. But this job that you specifically talked about there, that example, which is a good example, isn't that really the job of the grid? And this is where things are changing. You as a supply company, you're now sort of acting as kind of balancing power. Do you think that is kind of where energy supply companies all end up being? Because if that happens, then what's what's the kind of role of the grid because it's kind of interesting you're you're doing this stuff working with the local district network operators who are becoming system operators themselves we, we suddenly find that actually the job of balancing our power becomes the job of my power company when before my power company's job was just give me power <laughs> i think the way that i think about that is the grid is still is always going to be the one who's fundamentally accountable for putting that market mechanism in place Right. And for and for managing that, and the the network operators, the you know, the, uh, to your earlier example of the UKPNs of this world, they will manage at the network level, and they'll put the markets in place for people like Octopus Energy to come in and say, okay, well, we can you know we can provide this flexibility for this price. Do you want it? Yes or no? And then you know, the, and then these markets are continuing to evolve, and you know, historically it was big power plants that would really only be in, in these markets. But, you know, as the energy transition takes place, it's a bigger 
more diversified group of participants. And one of them is, is, is a player like Octopus Energy. What are you going to do with all my data? This is the other thing that obviously, you know, you, you, as we do this flexing, as we do exactly the stuff you've talked about, you've got my data. Because you've got to know when my car's plugged in. You've got to know how much it's using, all of that stuff. And I know that, you know, cybersecurity is a big one for all uh, energy supply companies. And in, in fact, for the whole of the UK in, in any regard. But what are you looking at in that point? Because you don't want to say, actually, you know, I like to help out the grid, but do I really want everyone knowing when I'm there when I'm not there? So how do you ensure that you do this in a way that kind of keeps the, the balance between helping me as a consumer, but not invading my, my privacy of my life? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and you know, that's a, something that's very important to us. Uh, and so I think, you know, fundamentally, first and foremost, whenever we, we kind of look at these charging patterns, everything's aggregated and it's, an, it's fully anonymized. Um, so you, so you don't know it's sumo buzz, you just know car, this car, car 65 has got some power. Exactly. And, you know, we, we aggregate that information. We look at the kind of statistical outcome of, of the whole kind of population, not of a single user. And, but, you know, what we're able to do that way is then, you know, provide those good value electricity tariffs um, on the basis of that aggregated kind of um, analysis of, of, of the data. You're doing something right now, aren't you? You're doing a trial where you're actually paying consumers to do exactly what we've just been talking about. You know, charge your vehicle at a certain time, and if it's got more power in its battery, then we'll suck a bit back out. Why are you doing this trial, and, and what do you see the benefits of this? So, so I think that's our that's our Powerloop trial, which is um, a uh, an innovation project uh, with UKPN, and it's it's 135 customers who have vehicle-to-grid enabled EVs, where, as you say, they can not just charge, but they can also discharge. And, and it's a really interesting trial because it shows us how, you know, how comfortable are customers with, with their car not just being charged, but also potentially being discharged yeah. for, to provide a grid benefit. Um, but you know, we, have a, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of kind of protections for the consumer in place. Like, for example, in the event that we do discharge, we never like the car never discharges below twenty percent. So right. to you know to to our okay. earlier point, there's yeah. always there's always that range so that you know in the case of emergency, you're not kind of waking up with an empty battery. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be happy if I suddenly okay, I've earned a few quid, but hey, I can't get, get to where I want to go. These are all things that again, as I talked about right at the beginning, you need to have the real world understanding of human behavior, don't you, before you go ahead and do these things. Exactly. You can't, this is not a, uh, this is not a, an absolute kind of engineering dream. It needs to yeah. be, what is the benefit for the grid? What is the benefit for the net zero transition? But crucially, how do we get, you know, how, making sure that customers feel engaged, informed, and, and it's fully transparent. And that's one thing that I think we really need to focus on. Where do you see this whole thing about kind of charging? Because we've heard about, you know, obviously for me, you know, I've, I've got to think it's, it's a seven kilowatt. So, that's what most people have at home. And it kind of takes sort of seven, eight hours if you wanted to charge it fully. And then if people have been on a motorway service station, they may have seen these fast chargers that do sort of 50 kilowatts. Where, where are we going with this technology? Are we ever going to be able to have fast charging at home, do you think? Or is it just too much infrastructure for that to happen? And we're just going to have this kind of mix of, you know, fast chargers only in certain places. Yeah, so I think I think that come you know that fundamentally comes down to 
to willingness, you know, to cost, to overall cost. And I think, right. and then, and then also to your earlier point, consumer behavior. I really don't think that there's going to be a very long list of people who will sign up for a ten to fifteen thousand pound upgrade so that they can charge at you know a hundred or one hundred and fifty kilowatts, and that's actually very very low ball on the cost estimate in their, mm-hmm. you know, at home. Because like you know, like we talked about before, you're at home and the car's at home for yeah. a big chunk of the time. Yeah, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see like. The home charging, you know, stay at the kind of power levels that that you described. I think the, uh, which by the way, is 80 to 90% of your annual charging takes place at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then when you are on the road and you're doing a longer trip or you're, you know, you're going to see family or going on holiday, I think those motorway um, charging stations will continue to increase in speed. So, yeah. you know, you mentioned 50 kilowatts, you know, we're already seeing new networks being deployed, able to do up to 350 kilowatts. And I think that's, you know, th- that's what we're going to see is like this DC, the fast, the, the, the really fast charging on motorways will continue to pick up. And we'll also just see more ubiquitous public charging in inner cities, at workplaces, so that when you drive to, you know, when you park at work, you can also charge up at work. There are lots of companies starting to offer benefits of, you know, free charging at work. And so I think we're going to see that, you know, that kind of diversity develop. A couple of questions before we end. Looking forward now to where we are, you know, we are in this period. This year is the year, as I said, after the COP of year of doing. You're already starting to do trials. You know, lots of other players in, in the market are looking at it. The government's looking at more investment. Is the EV transition now, in your mind, really starting to go? Because there, there is an element here of it's a transition for the wealthy. It's not the transition for everyone. It's certainly not the transition if you live in a tower block in the back end of Dagenham or or, or Belfast or whatever. So wh- where are we going to have that ability for you know all of your customers to, to, to partake in this revolution, do you think? Five years from now? Ten years from now? I think, honestly, I think five years is already a long time. If we think of the fact that more EVs hit the road last year in the UK than the previous 10 years combined. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. Right, so, so like, and then, and then you know, like, like think, of, think of the iPhone. When the iPhone first came out, it was, you know, it was a very expensive product, a very small group of people could fundamentally afford it. Mm. And, and, and look at where, we're, where we are now. We have smartphones of many different brands, many different price points, where almost anyone can, you know, can, can get a smartphone. And I think we're gonna see the, we're, we're, we're seeing all of the, car manufacturers, not just Tesla and a few others, but ev- almost every single major car manufacturer is announcing and is com- bringing to market a range of EVs at all price points. And so I think we will see you know, that not just being a, uh, a high-end tra- uh, transition from petrol and diesel, but you know, across the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and and for, for the people living in, in flats, I'm, you know, we've seen a lot of really cool innovative programs developed where you can find a nearby parking space that and rent it on a and book it in advance and charge yeah. your car or you can book yeah. it you know a day ahead you can book it for months at a time and i think we're going to see all of that is you know will be enabled through through your phone really and my last question to you is you know look at where you you are in terms of flexibility do you think we're going to be able to to do this net zero transition by using this lever of flexibility because the last thing people want is all our roads being dug up for loads and loads of power cables 
because it's bad enough where it does that. How big a role do you think it has to play in our, our transition? I think it has a huge role to play, to be honest. I think just, I think one interesting stat is just EV charging alone by 2030, based on the current rate of EV rollout, will be able to reduce the peak demand of the whole United Kingdom of power by 10%. And so that is a lot of avoided roads dug up. And, and, and I have to say, you know, the, the network operators are all making bigger and bigger commitments to use flexibility as a, the primary tool before they go and dig up roads and put in more cable. Well, I think that's a good thing because no one wants to see any of that. Alex, yeah. uh, I know we've got to stop now because you're running out of time, but thanks so much for joining us on the Net Hero podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Alex there from Optimus. And yeah, definitely, I think that really is a very important part of where we go, how we make sure that we don't overbuild. You know, we don't look at kind of digging up the ground and, and putting in cabling where we don't need it. We start to say, can we flex, can we use flexibility as a way, particularly as we get more and more EVs. Uh, the Big Zero Show is uh, has reached 200. This is brilliant. 200 of you have signed up uh, for delegates, which is fabulous news. We have 500 passes, so please get yours now. They're free. Uh, I'd encourage you all to have a look at bigzeroshow.com where you'll start to see sessions. There's some brilliant speakers uh, there. You'll find out plenty more. So register now, and we'll be bringing you more and more uh, news as we get uh, more companies uh, signing up, I'm delighted to say we've got some uh, SSE uh, has, has joined us and we are expecting a couple of other big names. So we'll bring you that. You can find out all the details, I'll say, either by going to futurenetzero.com or thebigzeroshow.com. Please subscribe to the podcast. And, you know, I don't want to sound, again, down, but, you know, we've got to think about what's going on globally. Have a word with your energy company, have a word with your organization and make sure we're doing the right thing. Until next week, take care. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero, better business, better planet.